Thank you, Jim. Thank you all so much uh, for coming this evening. Uh, I know it's a holiday weekend, uh, so it's good to see uh, so many here. Um, as I've had the last few years as the youth minister here at Oldham Lane, uh, I have discovered uh, one of the best ways to teach our young people and teach our maturing and growing Christians is to revisit stories and scriptures that we're very familiar with. Some of them, we have them memorized, and we have the, the brain knowledge, we have the mind knowledge, but do we have the heart knowledge? As we go through different stages of life, uh, things mean uh, new things. We go through different discoveries, and so we're going to revisit uh, a Bible story that most of y'all, or a scripture that most of y'all are very familiar with. Um, so uh, I hope you're ready for that. If you want to go ahead and start to turn to Ephesians 6, uh, you can certainly do that. We're going to be talking about the armor of God. And that, of course, means we are going to be uh, talking about military. We're going to be talking about victory and conquest. Thank you uh, for your song selection, for getting us uh, in the mindset. Uh, most of us like to be winners, right? Uh, whether it's our sports team, whether it's the candidate we're voting for, whether it's our armies, we want to be winners. But specifically, when it comes to our military conquests, we definitely want to be successful, right? We don't want to be on the side of a losing battle. We especially don't want to be on the side of an embarrassingly losing battle. Am I right? Uh, as I was researching these, I found a few really embarrassing military blunders. I'm going to share some of them with you. If you're a military buff, you may know these. For instance, the 1988 Sokcho submarine incident. This took place in the waters of South Korea. There was a North Korean sub manned by nine sailors that was going through the South Korean waters on a reconnaissance mission. And if you go to the Wikipedia page and you look at the combatants, it'll say side one, North Korea, one submarine. Side two, South Korea, one fishing net. And this submarine goes into these waters and gets tangled in a fishing net, actually gets dragged, towed back to a South Korean naval base where they find all the sailors have committed suicide. Victory by fishing net. Ooh, that's a little embarrassing. Or, or maybe you've heard of the 1932 Australian Great Emu War. Uh, you know, this is after a war, war, ugh, world war, uh, during a depression, and these farmers are calling out to the Australian army saying, these emu are just terrorizing us. They're coming onto our, uh, onto our property, uh, destroying our crops, terrorizing our animals. Please do something about it. And so the Australian army bravely launches into this great emu war. In about a month, they've got three soldiers, two machine guns, about 10,000 rounds of ammunition, and a month later, they declare the war a loss. They have loss to the emus. It turns out they're pretty wily and they're pretty hard to kill. And so they only killed a few dozen and they said, we're not spending any more time on this. And it was very public uh, in the media at that time uh, that the Australian army lost to a, a flock of emu. Or uh, you may have heard of uh, the U.S. loss at the 1943 Operation Cottage. During World War II, we received reports that uh, the Japanese had taken an Aleutian island with 500 Japanese soldiers, and we really needed to get this army back, or this island back. So in order to take it, we send 
35,000 soldiers and sailors, and we team up with another 5,000 Canadian soldiers to take back this force of 500. So we storm the island, we get there, there's uh, a, a lot of fighting, there's mines in the water, there's all kinds of things, and finally as the battle is dying down, we take a look at our casualties and we realize there's about 200 wounded and almost 100 have died. One big problem, the Japanese had left the island two weeks before. So between uh, lots of counts of friendly fire, there was a mine that took out a ship, and apparently 47 men just vanished into the forest and were never accounted for. Uh, we, we took a pretty heavy loss uh, to an enemy that didn't actually exist. Yeah, losing is not what we want to do. And an embarrassing loss is definitely not something that we want to be a part of. So uh, this evening, we're going to take a look at our equipment. We're going to do what they sometimes call in the military an equipment check, uh, where you've got to look at your gear, you've got to look at your armor, you've got to make sure that you're completely ready because you do not want to face the enemy without uh, your equipment being ready. So let's turn to Ephesians 6. If you haven't gotten there already, go to Ephesians 6. We're going to start in verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So we've only gotten a few verses in and we're reminded multiple times that we are going to be standing firm and we are going to need this armor. Let's continue reading to see exactly what this means. Verse 14, stand firm therefore having belted your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having striped, strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God with every prayer and request pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints all right, so hopefully you figured it out by now through our songs and through our intro. When we are talking armor, we are thinking warfare. However, we're not discussing the kind of warfare that we uh, might remember on Memorial Day or that we uh, heard about in those earlier introductions. We are talking about spiritual warfare, which for Americans, that can be a little bit iffy. We, we know what it means to have a political enemy. We know what it means to have a military enemy, but a spiritual enemy? It's a little bit different sounding. We want to make sure we're fully engaged and fully prepared for something we might not be so familiar with. Well, in verse 13, it's mentioned being able to resist on the evil day. Well, look at that evil day. Some people uh, speculate this is, you know, the end of the world. This is uh, Armageddon. No, this evil day is the day that the enemy is coming against you with just that, the evil. Some of us are in an evil day right now. Some of us feel like the last two weeks have been day after day of evil day. Some of us can't remember the last time we had an evil day. And we might be especially susceptible to that. So we've got to be prepared. We want to be ready to put on this armor. So let's look at it piece by piece. First off, we're reminded, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth. 
This is kind of interesting, because I don't know about you, but when I get dressed in the morning, the belt is not usually the first thing I put on. Usually it's like one of the last things I put on. So why is Paul writing here and he's starting with the belt of truth? Well, you've got to think militarily, of course. This belt not just held up the pants, not just held up the lower garments, but in fact was uh, the, the thing with which we were able to put so many other things, whether it's uh, our weapons, whether it's our extra food, our, our water canteen, whatever it may be. This was so vital, just like the truth, Right? truth is so important and as some of you who have lived a while know the truth seems to be getting further and further and further from the thing that people understand in today's society and guess what people have been saying that for centuries all right this is not just a new 2023 thing this is something we've been struggling with for a long time psalm 119 verses 159 through 160 reminds consider how i love precepts revive me according to your faithfulness the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting truth is an absolute standard by which reality is measured another person put it God's view on any subject what's the number one problem we see in today's culture's view of truth a lot of it has to do with feelings right A lot of the words we hear, whether it's on social media or whether it's in pop culture, is, well, you speak your truth, and I'll speak my truth, and we'll all have our truths, and they'll all have a big truth party, and it'll be great. That's not how it works. We're reminded that there is one absolute truth, and we want to make sure that when we are picking up our belt and putting that belt on, we grab the right one and not grab, I don't know, a a snake that kind of looks like a belt. That would be a sad surprise. So we make sure we're actually grabbing that truth. Truth is our, if you know the standard, you know what righteousness is, and you know right and wrong. Speaking of righteousness, let's go to righteousness. After our belt of truth, we're reminded to put on this breastplate of righteousness. Now, when we teach this to younger children and we're teaching them our church words like righteousness, we teach them right and wrong, and a lot of them understand this concept. Okay, so in order to put on my armor, I've got to make sure that I'm constantly doing the right things. I've got to please God with my good behavior, with my sinless actions. But there's a problem there. If you don't know that problem, I'll remind you, it's found in Romans 3. Romans 3, 9 through 12. What then? better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under the sin, as it is written. There is no right, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. You see, if you pick up your own righteousness to try to shield you from what's coming from the devil, what's coming on that evil day, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. Because if you actually take a look at your armor and you take a look at this breastplate, you're going to see holes. You're going to see weak spots. You're going to see spots where there's very big blaring weaknesses that the devil is going to take advantage of. Oh, great, Luke. That's so encouraging. Thanks for this sermon. No, no, keep reading. Romans 3, 22 through 26. But it is righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in God's merciful restraint, he let the sins committed go unpunished for the demonstration, that is, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's going to be a time, maybe on this evil day, where Satan comes up to you and he's going to remind you, man, you are not righteous. Think about what you did yesterday. Think about what you did this morning. Think about what you did five minutes ago. You call that righteous? And that's what you're protecting yourself with? And for the young Christian, for the new Christian, that can be a scary thought, and that can be very daunting. But for the mature believer, we just kind of look Satan in the face, and we just kind of smile, and we kind of (laughs) say, no, no, that, that righteousness over there, that's not what I'm wearing as my armor. I'm wearing this righteousness. When we clothe ourselves in God's righteousness, we can just laugh in the face of Satan because we are protected from everything. Next up, and having strapped your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So shoes, what are shoes designed to do? Well, they're designed to do multiple things. One, they protect our feet from the outside, right? If you think where you walk now is bad, imagine uh, the pathways and the streets and the roads and the the way, the mode of travel for uh, Paul and his readers at this time. So they needed sturdy, strong shoes. And that's what we're called to strap on, strapping on our feet, preparation of the gospel of peace. There's a lot of words in there, and sometimes we get a little bit distracted by some of these. First off, I want to focus in on that gospel, because as Christians, we love the gospel. Amen? We love the gospel. Amen? Okay, thank you. All right. That's right. We are ready to share that gospel, and that gospel is not just a one and done, okay, now I get to go to heaven, and is there anything else? What does this verse remind us? This gospel offers us peace. And just as a reminder, sometimes we get a little bit confused. Sometimes we imagine a painting where, oh, there's this cute little brook, and it's just flowing down, and there's all these little uh, birds chirping, and there's, oh, there's seven little sheep just jumping around, and there, and we're, oh, we're at peace. This is such a sweet scene. I don't know about you, but that's not what peace looks like in my life. Sometimes peace is actually dark and a little bit dreary. Maybe there's a giant storm coming through and there's rain coming down and there's lightning over here and it's loud and it's noisy and it's a little bit scary. But then over here in the corner, despite all that, we see one little bird singing because peace is not about being happy in the good times. It's about understanding that we are happy all the time thanks to this wonderful gospel that we have. And those are two wonderful terms that we think about when we think about these sandals. But there's another term I want us to focus on. Your feet with what? The preparation. What are we prepared to do? What are shoes also good for? They're good for moving, right? They're not just for standing, which in some of our jobs these days, maybe we do a lot of standing, but they're meant for movement. We're supposed to be moving. We're supposed to be spreading this gospel of peace. And that's what we're called to do. Not only does Paul remind us that we're supposed to be standing firm and ready to attack, uh, ready an attack that's coming to attack us, but we've got to be ready to move. We've got to have that preparation to share that. 
1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord of your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. That evil day might look a little bit tricky. That evil day might not be an outright temptation or outright sin that spits in your face. That day could be one of your coworkers or one of your children or one of your friends that says, I mean, why do you even waste your time with all this church stuff anyway? Are you ready to stand firm and say, let me tell you about this gospel of peace that has changed my life? Or are you, oh, oh, I forgot to put on my sandals correctly and slipping. That's what Satan wants us to do. But Paul calls us to be ready to have those strapped on so we are fully prepared. Afterwards, we have, uh, oh, uh, this is a nice graphic. It's, you know, it's, it's a big shield. It's got a little cross, but it's actually not what I want you to have in my, oh, yes, that's much better. Okay, so I want you to be thinking about this as we read this verse. Taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have any of you read Hebrews 11 recently? Great chapter. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's called the Faith Hall of Fame. And over and over, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of all these people that had faith that are mentioned in the Bible and all these things that they accomplished. Did a single one of them get recognized for their faith, for just going about their daily life, thinking in their head and thinking in their heart? Man, I'm so glad I believe in God. No, not a single one of them. Every single person mentioned in Hebrews 11 is called out because they acted on their faith, because they were ready to take up their faith and move with it. When's the last time you picked up your faith and moved with it? Now, this shield isn't small, all right? This is kind of a hefty thing to protect us, and it can be a little bit cumbersome and a little bit uncomfortable. And some of us wake up, and we grab that shield, and we're like, all right, I'm ready with this faith. Time to act. And some of us think... I mean, my arm kind of hurts. I don't, maybe I can just kind of play it in the background and kind of be cool with my faith. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to pick this up. And the reason I wanted to give you this image of a shield, we're going to talk about later, but it's so importantly, uh, so importantly, so important that we remember to pick it up and use it. Now, I had to do a little bit of studying on this second part of uh, this scripture, and some of y'all may be way more familiar with this than I am, um, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have you spent a lot of time thinking about that? You know, some of the video games I play, you have arrows and you have flaming arrows, and they're all scary, and you set stuff on fire and stuff. But if I was a soldier... And I am standing, and, I, and I'm ready, and, and I'm, I know in my head I'm about to get hit by an arrow. And I have an arrow plunge four inches into my chest. Does it really matter that much that it's on fire? I mean, if I'm getting hit by an arrow, I'm going, ah, an arrow, and I'm falling down. And if you know me, I'm just crying for the next 30 minutes. Uh, but these flaming arrows I discovered were actually not usually used to attack troops. They were usually used to attack things other than troops. For instance, heavy artillery. Maybe a cart carrying a bunch of food. Maybe uh, an important position over in the back. Because you see, if I'm standing here with my shield, and I'm doing a great job, and the enemy's coming, and I'm saying, no way, I've got this shield. And then all of a sudden, I turn around, and all my food for the next two months is on fire. What am I possibly going to do? Well, I've just created a hole. 
And the evil one comes in and pours in and is able to get to all my friends that are nearby me fighting. Sometimes Satan might not attack you head on directly with these flaming arrows. He may be ready to attack somebody you love or something you know, something you hold dear. So we've got to be ready with the shield, not just to protect ourselves, but to protect those around us and extend the shield to extend this faith to those that come into contact so we can fight the devil as best as possible. After this, we have the helmet of salvation. When Satan comes attacking, we've got to protect our minds because it's not just a physical battle. We've actually said it's a spiritual battle, but he's going to attack us mentally. He's going to remind us, like we said earlier with the breastplate of righteousness, he's going to remind us about the things that we've done incorrectly. The sins we've committed uh, are, are wrongs. Isaiah 12, 2 reminds us, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. So at a place that is so vulnerable, at a place that is so uh, easy to hurt, God has placed our helmet of salvation. So we remember, no matter what Satan is throwing towards us, whatever he's trying to distract us with, we have salvation. It's kind of funny talking about how we're fighting this battle, which if we've read our New Testament, we know the battle's already won. We already know the end. But however, we haven't gotten to that point yet. We are still in the middle. So even though we're still in the fight, we're still awaiting when the evil day is coming, we've got to focus on that salvation. We've got to shield our mind by remembering our salvation. And then we get to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when we teach this to our young people, we usually say, And what is the Word of God? And what is the Word of God? The Bible. Thank you, Grant. Yes, the Word of God. But think back to Ephesians. Did they have the Bible yet? No, they didn't have the Bible yet. Oh, inter we've been lying to our children. No, we haven't been lying. Let me explain it. So when we have this word, word here, and I'm about to say word about 48 times in two minutes, I apologize. The Greek word here, uh, we, we usually see three different Greek words. The first one we see a lot is graphe, and that means a literal book, a literal scroll that you can open up and you can find words. Once you take your graphe and you open it up, you look down and you see the logos, another Greek word for word, and those are the actual written words. We've heard this a lot in different, uh, uh, different Bible verses, but this is neither of those. It's not graphe, it's not logos. It's the Greek word chema, or as we in West Texas, rhema. And it means the oral, uttered, spoken word of God. Well, where do we need to go to find that oral, uttered, spoken word of God, church? Okay. Bible, but I was thinking right here at church where I'm uttering and speaking this word of God to you because the Bible is fantastic and amazing and so important to our spiritual development. But as he's talking here, he wanted to stress the importance of hearing other Christians speaking this word of God. And this word of God is not always me just quoting for you Romans uh, 10, 14. How then are they called to call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? 
But the word of God can be when I'm gathered with my fellowship of believers and I'm going through something difficult and I'm in, a, and I'm in the evil day and I'm needing help escaping from someone evil. And instead of going to my work buddies who just laugh it off and say, oh, just deal with it. It's just a marriage. Who really cares about it? Or instead of going to Facebook, who fills my doubts with all these things that may be true, may not be true, but instead I'm gathered with a fellowship of believers who are speaking that rhema into my life and giving me spiritual encouragement and spiritual wisdom. That right there, church, is so important. That is our sword of the Spirit with which we fight back the devil. And then lastly, not leastly, With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. So I'm looking down, got my fantastic belt, got this great shield, love uh, my sword, got this awesome breastplate that's not mine. Uh, It it belongs to my father, but then what do I do now? What do I, uh, I don't have any orders. My commander has yet to give me, or I've got to listen to my commander. I've got to talk to the person in charge. We've got to be in prayer and petition over and over to our Father, constantly getting a a read. Would it make sense for a, a soldier to listen to their commander and say, all right, thank you, I'll see you in one week. Hope the situation hasn't changed. No, that would be kind of catastrophic. Instead, we're called to repeatedly go back. We're also reminded that we need to pray at all times in the Spirit. Luke, remind me what that means. Well, sure, I don't mind at all. Romans 8, 26 through 27. Now, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As we work with our young people and we're teaching them to pray, we teach them the importance of coming before a group of people and saying a prayer and knowing what to say. But especially in our personal lives, there is a time when we should be praying and we have no idea what to say. And we hand it over to the Spirit and we say, Spirit, I don't know. But you see what my life is now. You see that I need help. Please help me in my prayer. And when we do this, we allow for a deeper communication, a deeper connection with God. I love that we're reminded here at the end, be alert with perseverance in every request for all the saints. And that brings me to kind of my last analogy, because a lot of you, especially if you're younger like me, you've heard this scripture and you've, you've thought it in your head, and you might have a picture that looks something like this. And you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm, I'm strong, I've got this awesome shield, I can do such amazing things. And, and, and that's true, when you've got the armor of God, you can conquer so many foes, because it's not you fighting, it's God. But a huge problem with this is what? How many people do you see in this picture? Just the one, right? Instead, Paul would call us to remember this concept. This is called a Roman phalanx. And you remember that shield that I was so worried about earlier in the sermon? This is the reason I was worried about it. Rome was so successful in their military conquests because they built their military around this idea of working together as a team. Their armor, their training, their troop movements all depended on this. 
The shield didn't just protect you. It protected all those around you. And that's what we're called to do as well with our prayers and with our armor. You see, so many of us, especially in this age of technology, in this age of social media, we're kind of tempted to kind of say, well, you know, it's nice to get my word of God. It's nice to get my rhema uh, in church, but I could also look on YouTube and I could get it there. I could also look up a really inspirational and uh, highly done TikTok and, oh, that'll change my life. That'll, that'll really invigorate me. But the problem is when you do that, it's only you participating. And that's not what we're called to do over and over again. The Bible calls us to gather ourselves around the saints like you are doing right at this moment. Because you see, when Paul is calling us to pick up this armor, it's not just for ourselves, but it's so that we can be united together in this fight together. So earlier at the beginning of the sermon, I asked you to do an equipment check. Hopefully, as I was talking about these different elements, you didn't take a 20-minute nap, but you instead were thinking about, well, how's my belt of truth doing? Okay, yeah, that's all right. Well, my sword of the spirit, okay, we could improve this. Well, I want to call on you to try something even higher, even more mature. We're not, we're not judging, we're not, we're not trying to create a, a naughty and nice list, but instead, we're looking around to our fellow soldiers. Maybe you've noticed that there's somebody that you're close to, that their shield of faith hasn't been picked up as often as it needed to be. Or maybe uh, you have somebody that you know in this church family that you uh, love and you, uh, is very dear to you, that maybe when it comes to putting on a belt, they don't always reach for their belt of truth, uh, and they reach for their belt of social media. I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to see if there's a way as a soldier in this army of God that you can encourage them and you can strengthen them. How are you not only going to strengthen yourself in this fight, but how are you going to strengthen your fellow soldiers? Because as I told you, the battle's already been won. If you're in the army, you are a winner. We are united together in victory. And so I want to challenge you with that. I want to offer that to you tonight. Uh, as you've been listening at this time, uh, we want to offer you an invitation. Maybe you're a longtime soldier. You've been in the fight longer than I've been alive, but you've noticed that some of your uh, armor has kind of fallen flat, maybe not been used as much as you wanted it to. And if you'd like prayers, we'd love for you to come forward at this time. Maybe you're not a part of this army and you want to learn more. You want to know what it means to put on this armor of God. We would love to study with you. We would love to baptize you. We would love to start this this journey together. Whatever it is at this time, I invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing together.